Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the league's two vacant general manager positions. Patrick Levels guaranteeing a win in the East semifinal. Ooh, so spicy. The Cardinals releasing former CFL quarterback Chris Streveler. Bob Young calling the 2021 CFL season, quote, the best in league history and the CFLPA's desire for more continuity in their contracts under the league's new CBA. But first, Dunkster, the Edmonton Elks cleaned house on Monday, firing president and CEO Chris Presson, general manager and vice president of football operations Brock Sunderland, and head coach Jamie Elizondo in one fell swoop. Did these moves come as a surprise to you? It did not, although people I talked to throughout the league regularly were somewhat surprised because the Elks regime was allowed to go out and trade for Nick Arbuckle and sign him to a contract extension. Now, you reference the contracts off the top, and we'll get into this a little later. In football, especially in the Canadian Football League, they're not really worth the paper they're written on because they can be torn up at any time. So to me, this was a move that had to be made. I was saying it for weeks, and you never really want to see people lose their jobs. But to be honest, and let's go through them one by one, I never really understood why the Elks Board of Directors wanted to hire an American president who had never had any previous experience in Canada That clearly did not work out well in terms of, for sure, the fan engagement. Then you look at the GM and Brock Sunderland, and the year, excuse me, the record got progressively worse every year he was in Edmonton. So I don't know how you can argue that you should keep your job when that's the case. Yes, they can talk about Scott Milanovic going back to the NFL in January, but we've seen recently where a team, the Toronto Argonauts, put together a staff in the spring and went on to win a Grey Cup. (laughs) So to me, you can't talk about having to deal with that and use it as an excuse. To be quite honest, that's what it was, was an excuse. And to me, the most clear one of all was that from the get-go, and we did multiple stories off at Hodge, Jamie Elizondo called out veteran players, felt like there were guys there, most famously Kenny Stafford, that didn't fit the culture. Well, to me... The issue there was the culture that Elizondo brought was not one that got the best out of the players. So no, to answer your question with some analysis in a roundabout way, I was not surprised. It was a move that had to be made by the board of directors. Otherwise, the fan base was going to be completely and more distanced from the team. And you go along with it. The move that was made to get rid of Dwayne Mandrusiak, the move that was made to get Eddie Steele off the radio rights holder broadcast, when he had comments that were critical of the general manager. So this goes beyond the football team. Yes, and uh, let's also acknowledge, you mentioned the Argos, their dunkster. They also had to redo their defensive coaching staff partway through the season. 
right? Like they they entered the season with Glenn Young as the DC, and, and you know they they they've had just as much turnover as Edmonton did with Milanovic leaving, if not more. They finished first in their division. To me, the surprising part of this is that this is going to hamstring Edmonton for the foreseeable future in terms of the operations cap and. We can have a separate conversation someday about the operations cap and how it's making the CFL worse because, frankly, I don't think you can make a counter-argument to that. It's demonstrable in many different respects the way in which that cap has hurt the league more than helped the league. But with that being said, the policy is the league and, and Chris Preston's deal, president's aren't part of the cap of course they designed it that way so they can make a bunch of money and everybody underneath them makes less but let's set that aside as well the the salaries remaining for Sunderland and Elizondo I believe both of which ran through 2023 two more seasons are are you know they're, they're they can be rolled over a few years I, th- I think you can you can roll them out over five instead of two but you're now paying out four years of salary over over like in, in as part of this cap and that's certainly going to hamstring this team so the on-field part of it did not surprise me the team was miserable but the financial side of it and the ramifications of getting rid of your gm and head coach two years early that side of it did surprise me for that financial reason i don't think it's going to matter to be quite honest hodge and we can talk about the football operations cap will blue in the face and i believe there are drawbacks to it but the cfl makes this stuff off as they go along, right? We've seen teams that have been over the salary cap. They didn't get fined, even though they're supposed to be fined. So you mentioned it. They can take one of those contracts and disperse that over five years. The other one, they can make it a mulligan. So essentially an amnesty clause for people who are familiar with what happens in the NBA. So they can get rid of that. And I'm sure they can go to the league and say, look, we didn't want these guys here. It was hurting our fan base. Can you just give us a complete mulligan on the whole regime and not have to pay anything? So to me, I don't think the financial ramifications really matter here from that regard and are going to hold the team back because if you kept these guys in their roles, that was going to erode the trust if there even was any left with the franchise for what they had done in their respective jobs. Like we saw it. The games there as the season went along at Commonwealth Stadium, the crowd was not showing up. And even though they announced the numbers, they were much lower as a lot of the Edmonton media who were on hand said. So I think it was well worth it. I don't care how much money they got to pay these guys out to get them out of there and get some fresh people in who are going to bring the fans back. All right, let's keep it moving. There are now two vacant general manager positions in the CFL, one in Edmonton, of course, and the other in Ottawa. Haji, if given the chance, which job would you take and why? To me, it comes down to who your head coach is. And at the end of the day, when you're a general manager, the most important thing that you do, that you can do, is is hire a great head coach, right? We've seen that repeatedly. If you're a, if you're a general manager who hires a bad head coach, you could be the greatest personnel guru on the planet and you're not going to win games because your head coach is a joke. And vice versa, a great head coach can make a mediocre GM look fantastic, right? And so... To me, it comes down, do you want to have your head coach chosen for you? In which case, Ottawa with Paul Apolise might be the better choice. Uh, I think the fan base there, is for for some reason, like we, we saw the, the outrage in Edmonton when that team started to lose. 
in Ottawa, I don't know why it's like kumbaya. They they won three games, but the fans there seem to be rallying around that team. So I I think either job is intriguing. I think Edmondson, however, has more talent on the roster right now. I think that you know the advantage there is you get to hire your own head coach, uh, but you're also coming out of a much more toxic culture i think maybe there's more pressure in edmonton so if i had to pick i'm going edmonton because i want that challenge i want more talent on the roster to start and i want to handpick my head coach but i could see from the the perspective of a gm candidate and i've got a list of 12 candidates for edmonton's job many of which would also be of course candidates for ottawa's job up on the site I think that there are pros and cons to both gigs. And I think if you asked everybody, well, you'd have to inject them with truth serum first. But if you asked everybody off the record, you would get different answers depending on who you were talking to. It's got to be Edmonton in my mind because you don't have a coach already there. And Paul Apolis is entrenched. And clearly, the ownership and President Mark Gowdy made the decision to stick with Lapolis over Marcel Desjardins. So he won the power battle there let's say I don't want to say power struggle so you look at the Edmonton roster and we all felt like before the season there was a lot of talent there and that's part of the reason why Elizondo was now looking for a job because he couldn't get the most out of that roster that was expected to be you know a bit of a sexy gray cup dark horse pick so I think there's lots of talent on that roster there's possibilities you know if I was Edmonton depending who gets in there, you're going to have the ability to look at some of these quarterbacks who are potentially going to be free agents. And to be quite honest, you would imagine that maybe if Trevor Harris doesn't end up staying in Montreal, I'm just throwing this out there as speculation, that he's comfortable at least in Edmonton, right? He knows the surroundings. So you could bring a guy back there who I think never should have been made the scapegoat. So for me, if I'm looking at this from a general manager position, it's Edmonton. Now, you might want to know who's going to be hired as the president first, and ideally, the president hires the GM and the GM hires the head coach, but you might be getting behind the eight ball unless the board of directors already has someone in mind for that president's role. Now, I know Sean Fleming is based in that area. The longtime kicker, of course, played for Edmonton for a while and has developed himself in his career post-football into a successful businessman, so there's been some buzz about him and then if you look at the candidates for those GM positions you would imagine that the Elks are going to want somebody that is proven that said I'm all for bringing in somebody with fresh blood and who's maybe been an assistant general manager elsewhere and give them time to see what they can build in Edmonton so there's various ways that the Elks could go and I'll I'll throw one more thing in there and that is you know, with Nick Arbuckle's contract extension, we know that he got a little bit of money to sign the extension. That'll count against the cap in 2021. There is no guaranteed money in 2022. So if if Edmonton wanted to move on from Nick Arbuckle, they could do that very easily. And it's a similar situation, right, with, with Trevor Harris and, and Vernon Adams Jr. in Montreal. They do have some offseason money, but it doesn't kick in until a few weeks into 2022. So if you're Montreal, you, you can cut, as long as you do it before the offseason roster date, you can cut one of those guys and you're just fine. So I think in Edmonton, yeah, you, you, you basically have, if you want it, a clean slate for quarterbacks, and obviously there's a similar situation in Ottawa because, frankly, I think they should still be looking for a quarterback. But regardless, Dunkster, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
Alouette's strong side linebacker Patrick Levels has guaranteed a victory over Hamilton in the East semifinal. He also called out a number of Ticats by name, including Jeremiah Mazzoli, Brandon Banks, and head coach Orlando Steinauer. Dunk, what are your thoughts on this move from Levels? Dude, I love it. The energy that he did it with instills confidence within the rest of the Alouettes team. And I don't care how you get motivated. So I'm not holding this against him whatsoever. People are going to make a big deal out of it. But if you're an athlete going in, especially to a postseason game, and you don't think you're going to win, and you're not comfortable voicing it out loud, then you should get out of this business. Now, the Ticats' response to it, publicly at least, was subdued. It was pretty clear to me that Orlando Steinauer had a message to his team behind the scenes, and that kind of trickled out from Jeremiah Masoli and Simone Lawrence when they asked them about it directly. They both said in some form or fashion, I'm obviously paraphrasing, that everybody's a grown man and they can do what they want to do in professional football and whatever they choose to do within their life. So that's the approach that they're taking, it sounds like, over in Hamilton. That, hey, if these comments are going to fire you up, go ahead. But publicly, we're not going to address them. That seemed to be the overall message in Hamilton. And, hey, if your level's... You got to be careful here because maybe you're poking the tie cat, so to speak, and they're going to pounce on you quickly. It's going to be a blackout at Tim Hortons Field. And Lawrence admitted he found it funny because Levels actually signed a contract to play for the tie cats <laughs> in 2020. That season ended up obviously being canceled, but he did see the humor in that overall. But I love it. We need more of this stuff in the CFL. I get it. In Canada, we're polite people, and we kind of like our athletes to be like that too. But the more juice that we can add, especially in a CFL season that has had the entertainment value go down, especially from a point-scoring perspective, give me some more hype. Agreed. And Patrick Levels, I don't think he'd be offended for me calling him a loudmouth Texan, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. That, that's who he is. That's his that's his personality. He is loud. He is proud. And I love what he had to say as well, Dunkster. And let's also say this. If you're the Ticats, yeah, you might find a little extra motivation in this. But honestly, why do you need more motivation? Right? You're hosting a playoff game. Your, your organization hasn't won a great cup in over two decades. And you get the opportunity to potentially play it at home in two weeks. Like, honestly, if you're a Hamilton Ticat sitting in that locker room and you need Patrick Levels to give you motivation, you're doing something wrong. So I appreciate yeah, I Patrick Levels saying it. All. I don't think they do. And anybody who does, they need to give their head a shake. Because th- this team has a golden opportunity to end a a league worst drought of i want to say it's 22 years at home so if you need patrick levels to get up for this game come on man yeah they don't need it but still add some juice to it man and just the way that levels said it and then he goes down the list saying come at me calling these guys out and you know orlando steinauer is respected but it's clear levels was sending a message that we're confident we don't care what happened during the regular season and it should be noted that Montreal actually went out there and pulled off a comeback victory at Tim Hortons Field over the Ticats. The odds of that happening again, them coming from that many points down and pulling it out in the fashion that they did are probably low. But that said, hey, 
Give the Owls some credit here. They're coming in with the league's leading rusher, William Stanbeck, who in my mind is going to be the East Division representative for the MLP award. He's not going to win it. It's going to be Zach Caleros. But still, the Owls have some talent, and they've shown when they played at a high level this year, they can play with anyone. So why not have the confidence and the swagger going in there? And regardless of whatever way it goes, it's going to be a talking point after the game. So, man, give us more of this. I freaking love it, man. To the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals have released former CFL quarterback Chris Strebler after signing Trace McSorley, who's been on CFL Neglis, off Baltimore's practice roster. Is there any chance we'll see him back in the CFL during the postseason? I wish I could give you a better answer, Dunkster, but I believe the answer is no. Um, he, he is eligible to come to the CFL. I know there are questions about that. Could he even sign in the CFL if he wanted to? The answer is yes. He could join Winnipeg or any other team for a playoff run. However, you know, with, with optics the way they are, you know, we've seen this with Liram Hiralahu. Liram Hiralahu has had a ton of chances to come back to the CFL since departing for the NFL following the 2019 season. He has not taken those CFL opportunities because I think he realizes that once he comes back to Canada, he's going to be labeled forever as a CFL kicker. Even if he sets records, you know, goes on unbelievably long streaks with successful field goals and is kicking at an NFL level, because let's be honest, he's always kicked uh, for, for essentially his whole CFL career at an NFL level, as many CFL kickers do. Uh, Lewis Ward, for instance, has his hand up here going, hey, remember when I kicked 69, yard, 69 field goals in a row, which has never been done in anywhere else in professional football. But the point is, if, if Chris Streveler comes back to the CFL at this point, I think at that point he has to go and say, okay, I'm, I'm a CFL quarterback forever because I don't think an NFL team is going to look at you again if you run back to Canada the very first time you get cut south of the border. Yeah, if you're Strebler, you got to play this out. And as much as people in Winnipeg Hodge, and you know this well, we're getting excited and saying, hey, come back and play a couple playoff games and win another Grey Cup and add to your legend. Well, he can do that in the future. You know, the timing does seem like it would write another great chapter, especially for his legacy there in Hamilton. He could maybe party again with the fur coat on if they hoist the cup. But to me, you have to see and exhaust all of the NFL opportunities, right? And maybe it's something as simple as Trace McSorley comes in there, doesn't fit the system or doesn't pick it up quickly enough, and they bring back Strebler because he's been there in Cliff Kingsbury's offense now for you know the better part of two years. So I think you have to see it out because you're right. You don't want that label on you as going back to the CFL too quickly. And I think that's why, and some people wonder out there, well, why doesn't a guy, you know, want to play football or come back to the CFL right away? Well, because the NFL payday is just so much bigger, right? That it's worth it to wait it out. And if there's another team out there in the NFL that has an injury or needs a quarterback who can especially run short yardage, Chris Trevler would be a great guy. We got to remember there were multiple teams interested in Strevler after that run that he made in 2019 because of his versatility and what he can do for you in terms of that short yardage game. No doubt he has to get better as a passer, but I think we've seen some slight improvements. And to be honest, he's been put in some difficult situations there with Arizona when he's had to come into games and not a ton of reps leading into the week. So he's got to play it out, see what might happen in the NFL before he even thinks about coming back to Canada. Yeah, and at the end of the day, the the NFL is a copycat league, right? We've seen players like Taysom Hill, uh, Trace McSorley would be, you know, someone of that similar mold who is as much runner 
as passer, and I would not be whatsoever surprised if another team around the league looked at a guy like Streveler and said, why the heck wouldn't we at least bring this guy to a training camp and see what he can do? Because he's not going to be a starter in the NFL. I don't think anybody's expecting that. But could he be a number two who provides a really different look or something unique or exciting behind a passer who's 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 simply a pocket guy? I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. And for Chris Streveler, if that opportunity does not arise, he can easily cash in, let's say in February, if he wants to come back to the CFL and get a big money contract then anyway. Or or in twenty twenty three, whenever that opportunity, you know, at down south, when when those opportunities dry up, he'll he'll have a contract, he'll have a good career in Canada. I don't think there's any reason for him to rush this. Dunkster Tie Cats owner Bob Young fired back at a couple of beat reporters saying the 2021 CFL season was the best in league history and that the league is stronger than ever coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Does that make sense to you? With all due respect, it seems on point coming from an owner in the league who has a lot invested. And I understand from one perspective what he's saying, and he's trying to provide some positivity. And once again, and Young has done this in the past, stick up for Randy Ambrosi because that was one of the things that I believe Herb Zerkowski from the Montreal Gazette mentioned that Randy Ambrosi has essentially been nowhere to be seen. And we know that, Hodge, because we've asked for interviews with the commissioner multiple times on multiple different topics and been told no. So I understand why Young is trying to look at it from a positive aspect, but I'm sorry. There is just no way that you can think that this is the best year in the history of the CFL when you consider two major factors. Entertainment value, points are down a bunch even just from 2019, and it's nearly 10 points per game going back to 2017 through the regular season numbers. And the fact that the league is going to lose tens of millions of dollars when the 2021 season is all said and done. It's great that football's back. Don't get me wrong out there. We're happy at Three Down Nation just as everybody else that loves the Three Down game and especially us because we rely on it so much for our coverage that it's back. But it is not the best season in CFL history. That is hyperbole, though I understand where he's coming from. It's a big deal that the league was back, but it's not even close to the best year in CFL history. Hopefully, those years are to come, but there are a lot of revenue losses and economic damage that the league has to recover from, just like a lot of other businesses due to the pandemic. Yeah, to me, the CFL is and has always been a great league, and therefore it does not need to be patronized. And anybody pretending that this season has been the best in league history is fooling themselves. And I appreciate all that Bob Young has done and sacrificed for the CFL. I have a tremendous respect for him as a person. All I'm saying is this league does not need to be patronized. We don't have to pretend that the season was amazing. It was always going to be uh, a tough year back after a full year off. I have very high hopes for 2022 and what could happen for the second year coming out of the pandemic. But no, let's not pretend that this year was amazing. This year was not a good season on the field for the CFL though I am excited moving forwards. But I will only celebrate that success when it happens. I'm not going to pretend that it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is we've got to put this in context, right? And how much 
Young has invested even just in this season alone. Like Hamilton's hosting the Grey Cup for the first time since the mid 90s. And of course, Young would like to be that, like that to be a big financial windfall for him. And it probably won't because of the pandemic and some of the lingering restrictions and also hesitations from people gathering in big crowds in whatever capacity. So, we need to balance this out. This is no slight against Young. You just need to understand where he's speaking from. And to be quite honest, he's a big reason why the league is back on the field in 2021. And he was pretty vocal about wanting to even play in 2020. And he didn't admit to it when I asked him directly. But there were people behind the scenes saying that Young was willing to help out the other teams financially to get them on the field in 2020. So he wants to play football. Clearly loves the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It's a legacy type of an ownership for him. But we got to pull the reins back a little bit when you see a comment like that. Because there's been some great seasons in league history with high scoring and entertainment value and exciting games. But we haven't even seen that in 2021. Hodge, you spoke with CFLPA Executive Director Brian Ramsey about the league's problems with player transiency. Tell us about that conversation. Well, th- this conversation stemmed from the repeated complaints that we hear all the time, Dunkster, right, from fans who have grown sick and tired of CFL players signing a series of one-year contracts and seemingly change, t- changing teams every year, it feels like, right? And this all came about in 2014 when the CFL ratified a new collective bargaining agreement in which, for the very first time, contracts were no longer required to have an option year. In other words, players were able to sign a one-year deal and then cash in the following year. And what I learned from Brian Ramsey is that there's a lot uh, from the membership of the CFLPA, a very strong desire, a lot of interest in having more continuity in contracts. It seems players have grown sick and tired of upping and moving across this gigantic country of ours every single year. However, what they are asking and requiring, and I'd, I'd encourage everybody, of course, to go read the article that came out on Tuesday, but what what essentially they've said is we need more commitment from CFL teams because Dunkster, we all know that a multi-year contract in the CFL isn't even worth the the month like the paper that it's printed on, right? It's it's something that a team can go back on without any hesitation, uh, right? They can cut a guy. We just talked right about Nick Arbuckle, who's a guy who could be cut at any point in 2022. The day the day after training camp ends, he could get cut, and he's not getting any of the money that his contract is supposed to contain for the 2022 season. So players are sick and tired of moving around, but they also feel as though they need more of a commitment for teams because currently they feel like that commitment is a one-way street. And that's kind of the nature of pro football. And I do understand where the players are coming from here, but this happens in the NFL too, right? Like contracts are torn up. Obviously not for the high-end guys that have either guaranteed money or a big signing bonus or there's going to be dead cap money involved in that that the team will have to deal with if it's a big chunk you might as well just keep the guy but that doesn't really happen so much in the cfl in terms of the dead money or the guaranteed money that's paid out through the life of a contract generally in the cfl you can pay your signing bonus up front and you have you've alluded to earlier in the podcast like especially with the quarterbacks big time offseason bonuses but teams oftentimes make decisions on whether they're going to pay those and have those guys on the roster before the deadline hits so to me yes 
Ideally, would you want to see longer contracts and players stay in places for a longer period of time? Yes, but from the player's perspective, part of the reason they wanted the one-year contracts was so they could cash in more regularly. I will say that overall, to me, the bigger issue here needs to be the players being compensated with a bigger piece of the pie. That has to be a major discussion point. Now I understand the league is going to cry poor and they're going to come in and say, hey, we came off COVID, even though you have Bob Young out here saying right now, let's remember this comment, that 2021 was the best year in league history. Let's you know frame that and do whatever Patrick Lovell said to do with his comment, black it out and everything, for when they go into these discussions. Because the players in the CFL have a disproportionate amount of the revenue going into their pockets compared to the other leagues, right? All the other big sports leagues in North America, the NHL, NBA, NFL, MLB, get about 50% of the revenue. So to me, that's the bigger issue that, yes, you want to see more commitment from the teams. And I think that commitment can come in terms of the financial compensation, which would potentially allow players to stay in Canada year round or to feel settled in a city and want to stay there longer. To me, there's no difference if you sign a three or a four year contract or a series of one year contracts that add up to that many or more. And I think the financial compensation would help the players and also in the eye of the general public with the CFL trying to pull fans in, the higher the compensation numbers that are out there. And we saw teams, Hodge, recently, you know, with Michael Riley or even Trevor Harris in Edmonton, when they signed those million dollar plus contracts, put the numbers out because it's sexy and appealing to draw people into following the sport. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. But when we come back, it'll be time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. Dunkster, on this day in 2019, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers snapped a 29-year Grey Cup drought with a 33-12 victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Andrew Harris was named the game's most valuable player and most valuable Canadian, recording 169 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns. Willie Jefferson put up one of the most impressive defensive performances in Grey Cup history, making three sacks and two forced fumbles. Dunkster, how well do you remember that championship game? Oh, dude, that was an absolute beauty, but it's your Hodges heritage moment. I feel like you would probably remember it even better than I do. <laughs> I just watched it from my couch. I don't have much of an, an exciting story to tell. But I will also say today also marks the 25th anniversary of the 84th Great Cup, which came at a dark time during the CFL's history. It was the snowball game between Toronto and Edmonton. Downtown Eddie Brown made the 64-yard touchdown catch from Danny McManus that came off of his foot. I just want to say, Dunkster, I hope in 2021 we get a similar Grey Cup game, a Grey Cup game that lifts us out of this dark period of CFL football and reminds everybody just how great this league can be. Hey, man, man, I can remember where I was watching that kid catch. I was a captivated kid in my living room in rural Guelph, Ontario, outside of the city, you know, made sure that we got the feed. I believe it was on CBC and the iconic call that came with it and the touchdown in the snow. And then obviously, you know, the Argos won that game, but that was entertaining football. You know, that was one of the best gray cups 
in my memory that got me captivated. So as you said, hopefully the 2021 CFL playoffs and Grey Cup can do that for a new wave of fans and set off a time in the future when Bob Young can say with a straight face that <laughs> that season was the best in league history. And we know that footing was really bad in the 84th Grey Cup because of the snow. Don't risk the same thing happening to your vehicle this winter. Make sure you get it winterized. Take it to our friends at Jiffy Lube. They'll get you in and out in a jiffy. You got to keep your ride working great when the weather gets cold. Don't risk losing traction this winter. Take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. They'll hook you up. Yeah, you know, Hodge, it's getting to be that time in Ontario where we actually have some snow on the ground. Now, when I was in Winnipeg, there was a big dumping out there, and I know you got it, and there was a snowstorm that hit Western Canada. It seemed like every city I went to out west in recent weeks, the snow just followed. So Saskatoon, where I was for the Hardy Cup, had a big dumping, and now that I'm back in Ontario, and it seems like the snow might stay around, I'm thinking, I'm going to go to Jiffy Lube, got to get my fluids all topped up in order especially in oil change, and then make sure I got those winter tires on there ready to deal with these conditions that are here to stay, I think, for a little while in this winterized country that we live in. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Craig Dickinson told the media that first-round NFL draft pick past Paxton Lynch is unvaccinated, which is why he did not make the trip to Hamilton for Saskatchewan's regular season finale. Does that make sense to you? Well, it does that they came out and were public about it because people are going to ask questions. So I would imagine, and I don't know this for sure, but behind the scenes there was at least in a discussion with Mr. Lynch to say, hey, there's going to be questions about it. Are you comfortable with us divulging your personal medical information? AC Leonard was not, was not, Hodge, somehow Saskatchewan's nominee for most outstanding defensive player, although presumably some of the media out there did not vote for him because he was suspended for three games for not being in a cup. Is that legit? I don't like it, and I didn't like this with Andrew Harris in 2019 either. To me, the the punishment, the penalty for for testing positive, or in the case of Leonard not testing, is is missing games. And if you still had a better season than other people, despite missing games, you deserve the award. So I would have liked to see Leonard get the nomination out of Saskatchewan. Green Bay Packers running back Aaron Jones wore his brother Alvin's Rough Riders jersey this past week. How cool is that? Dude, that was awesome, man. It was great, easy PR for the league. And the fact that Jones is repping his brother down with the Green Bay Packers is awesome. And there were some people that I talked to about it that didn't even know that Aaron Jones' brother played for the Rough Riders. Well, now they know. Brett Lawther confidently stated he's the best kicker in the league without a doubt. Do you agree, huh? No. <laughs> I'm taking Rene Paradis. If, I'm, if, I'm, if I need a clutch kick, that's who I'm rolling with. Although, from distance, I'm probably rolling with Boris Beattie because he can make it from the parking lot. The Stampeders signed 45-year-old long snapper Randy Chevrier. Does that signing make sense to you? It does for reasons that are going on, let's say, behind the scenes. And I still think Chevy can get it done. It's just cool to see him back in the league. The Blue Bombers released veteran receiver Naaman Roosevelt from the practice roster. Are you kind of taken aback considering how much fanfare there was when Winnipeg signed it? I'll say this. I, I don't think if you're the Blue Bombers, you have any incentive to release Naaman Roosevelt unless Naaman 
decides he no longer wants to be on your practice roster. Because let's be honest, Naaman did not come to Canada to sit around. He came to Canada to play and obviously was never afforded that opportunity. Waterloo's Trey Ford was named the OUA's MVP for the second time in his U-Sports career. Dunkster, does he have what it takes to play quarterback in the CFL? Athletically, yes, but he needs to develop as a passer. In my mind, talking to some CFL scouts, that notion was confirmed because they felt like he took some steps back after having a great year a few years ago. He certainly got the talent, but it's going to take someone envisioning that, bringing him in, and allowing him to develop for a couple years in the CFL. The federal government will no longer allow unvaccinated amateur or professional athletes to enter the country as of January 15, 2022. What does that mean for the CFL and its players? Well, unless something changes by the time the 2022 CFL season gets underway, Dunkster, to me that means there will be no American or global players who are unvaccinated in 2022. Last one, Dunkster, the Cowboys have released Liram Hyralahu after veteran Greg Zerline returned to the lineup. Is that fair? Uh, in a way, but no, really, honestly, like Hyralahu looked super comfortable in that game with Dallas, and yeah, he only kicked extra points. We, we got to remember, it's a 32-yard kick on the extra points. It's essentially just like a field goal, but it's only worth one because it comes after a touchdown. What I do think it does, that performance at least, should get him another opportunity in the future because it shows that he can come into a situation, into a pro atmosphere, and treat it as just that. A pro, go out and do his job, and the lights, the bright lights in Big D, were not big enough for Hyperlife. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. He's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. We'll see you all next Wednesday for another episode.